You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. This week on 80s Revisited, we're going flashing just for Peter Gray, our friend in the UK. <laughs> flashing as in talking about the long requested multiple times by Pete Gray, Flash Gordon. Coming up on the latest and greatest blast of the past right here on 80s Revisited. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. I bet you're jumping up and down with excitement right now. Because we are covering Flash Gordon on the latest and greatest episode of 80s Revisited. Of course, I'm your host, Trey Harris. With me as always, loyal producer extraordinaire, the the Dr. Zarkov to my Flash Gordon, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And that's right. Our next stop on request... Not a month, because we got more than a month's worth. So, our next request bus stop here. Flash Gordon, requested many times and many moons ago by our friend in the UK, Peter Gray. Flash Gordon was released December 5th, 1980. Good year. Very good year. I was born that year. Wasn't even a year old when this came out. Needless to say, didn't see it in the theater. However, IMDb gives it a 6.5. Rotten Tomatoes, 82% critics, which shocked me. Wow. That the critics' score was that high. Audience, 69. I would have, if I, had I guessed, placed my bets, I would reverse have switched it. them. Exactly. Flip it and reverse it. Exactly. <laughs> Jesse Elliott. Uh, let's see. Budget was estimated at $20 million, opened at 3.9. Domestically would make its money back with 27.1. And worldwide, uh, based on at least the uh, English and uh, American box office, total of 41.1. But although the, it was mainly filmed in Italy. So there's, I couldn't get any numbers, though, from the Italian box office on that. So it did make a pretty decent payday, I guess, for the studios involved in it. It was directed by Mike Hodges, who directed the original Get Carter with Mike O'Kane, uh, The Terminal Man, and the second Omen movie. It also mm. should be noticed, noticed, noted excuse me, that Mike Hodges was the eighth choice to direct this film. <laughs> and this film was played with production issues, as we'll get into later on with the trivia and stuff like that. Right. Uh, the screenplay was by Lorenzo Simple Jr. He also did the Adam West Batman movie, the 76 King Kong movie, and Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. One of the earlier comic book movies, or movies based off a comic book character, I should say. One of the best ones. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I honestly wouldn't know. All right. So, uh, based on characters created by Alex Raymond, the creator, obviously, of Flash Gordon. And starring the great in this movie, in my opinion, Sam J. Jones as Flash Gordon. Uh, most people today, or younger people today, younger than us at least, would probably recognize him from Ted because Mark Wahlberg's character idolized Flash Gordon in those films. Uh, he did lots of TV, however, including everything from Stargate to Baywatch. So he did pretty well for himself, uh, despite being in this film. And that's not a bad thing. I like this movie. Uh, but uh, The Great, and surprisingly not late. It always surprised me when Max von Style lives, because that dude is old as fuck. 
<laughs> and he's in everything, but he's Ming the Merciless, and he is amazing in this movie as usual. But of course, The Exorcist, Needful Things, the original Dune. Uh, a lot of people recently wouldn't recognize him as the Three-Eyed Raven from Game of Thrones, uh, at least until well, a couple of seasons ago, I think. Yeah. Uh, and of course, most recently, I guess, uh, The Force Awakens. He's the one that gives Poe Dameron the piece of the map in the beginning, where uh, Kylo Ren goes, look how old you've become. Yep. And then uh, Melody Anderson was Dale. The only other thing I ever saw her in was Firewalker with Chuck Norris and Louis Gossett Jr., which will, I'm sure, eventually be covered on the podcast. I rented it a lot back in the day. Uh, but she did a lot of TV, too. Logan's Run, Battlestar Galactica. And uh, Topol was the only name for Dr. Sarkov. But he did a lot of stuff. He's a very long career, but most notably Fiddler on, Fiddler on the Roof and for Your Eyes Only, the Bond film. And the great, speaking of Bond, Timothy Dalton... As Prince Baron, of course, Living Daylights, License to Kill. He was the Bond for the second half of the 80s. Yeah. Because uh, he took over for Roger Moore after... Shit, I don't remember which one, because I'm not a Bond guru, like one of our friends. I think uh, Roger Moore was caught for, like, sexual misconduct or something. <laughs> <laughs> he was playing James Bond. <laughs> Method acting. I mean, you got to give some passes here. Right. Just kidding. <laughs> don't get mad, ladies out there. We support you. Hashtag me too. Ladies are visiting. <laughs> just, just in. Trey Harris reported. <laughs> accused by his wife of sexual harassment. Uh, but also, he was uh, in The Rocketeer. And also, most recently, the first, the first season, well, all seasons of Penny Dreadful, but we only watched the first season, which was pretty good. But the second one didn't catch our attention, and we never, never finished it, so to say, so to speak, I should say. Hmm. Uh, the lovely Ornella Muti, I guess that's how you pronounce her name, but she was Aura. She was in the uh, film Oscar with Sylvester Stallone, which if you don't uh, remember it, good for you. Uh, Definitely forgettable. <laughs> I mean, it's no rhinestone, but it's no good. Uh, uh, but she did a ton of Italian films, and the classy ones, not the cheap ones, if you get what I mean. <laughs> uh, and one of my personal favorite actors, Brian Blessed was Voltan. Uh, Disney's Tarzan, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He was Robin Hood's dad. Uh, he was Boss Nash in episode one. Uh, he was in. He was the king in Blackadder, a great uh, BBC show. Hmm. So, uh, but most notably, his voice, and he was also on Whose Line Is It Anyway a lot. The original Comedy Central yeah. one back in the day. He just, he's got that really defined voice and just booming <laughs> and instantly recognizable. But he's and he's he's a he's a literal badass. The dude climbed Everest in his sixties. And when I say wow. climbed Everest, Everest, he summited it. So he's, a, he's more of a man than I'll ever be. Put it to you that way. Don't sh- my wife's in the room being silent, just so you'll know. And she's nodding emphatically when I said that. <laughs> Fuck you, Autumn. <laughs> she's not, cover, she's not cover, really Cover here. my embryo's ears. <laughs> Why are you chilling at the wall? <laughs> Jesse, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Freaking out, man. Uh, Peter Windegard was Clytus. And I... I, every time I, I look up this movie or hear his name, it just sounds like, oh, yeah, Peter Windegard. Yeah, he wasn't in much. Oh. <laughs> he just always sounded like his name sounds like I've heard that name before. Like Oscar he, winner, Peter Windegard. Yeah, it just sounds, that's like a very actor name. Mm-hmm. But uh, mainly he did a lot of English TV, such as Department S and the sequel, the television TV show, or spinoff, I guess, not necessarily a sequel, Jason King. Uh, Mary Angela. I don't know when you did your research for this, but he died like six days ago. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> like six days ago. Six days ago. Shit. Peter, Peter Windegard. Rest in peace, Clytus. Yep. I hope he didn't die like he did in the movie, because that was a really bad way to go. No, it sucks. Yep. See? Peter. Peter Gray, you killed him. 
Because <laughs> six days ago was when we watched the movie. Oh. We were the only thing keeping him alive. <laughs> we can't do any more requests. It's going to kill somebody. There you go. Just kidding. Our condolences yeah. to Peter Windegard's family. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Stop podcasting. It's like the latest episode of The X-Files. Did you see that? Or did you... I haven't watched them yet. I, I plan to, though. No, I won't say anything. But this last one was a great, uh, I say classic. Ah, okay. And, you know, it, it was reminiscent of a lot of the older episodes. But anyway, uh, Mary Angela Mulatto was Kala. She was Clytus's second-in-command, so to speak, or rival. Uh, but she was, an, again, Italian actress, Lots of Italian films. This was this film was produced by Dino De Laurentiis. Uh, I think he did the, both Conans. He took over Halloween with Part Four and ruined the franchise. Uh, big time producer. Uh, he did the original Dune, uh, which I have nothing but good things to say about that for me personally. We will get to it on the podcast again. Promised again, but just got to sit aside four and a half hours to watch the the full cut. She's also dead, but <laughs> yeah. she didn't die this year. <laughs> <laughs> she died a while back, I noticed that. And the great Richard O'Brien as FICO, of course, Riff Raff and Rocky Horror in the sequel. Uh, not Riff Raff in the sequel, because Riff Raff's not in the sequel, but in Shock Treatment. And probably one of the only good parts about the Dungeons & Dragons movie was his scenery-chewing character mm. that popped up in that. I love Richard O'Brien. He's a great actor. Uh, Robbie Coltrane, he of Harry Potter fame, uh, was Man at Airport. Blink, and you'll miss him in the beginning when he picks up one of the luggage bags. Wow. Uh, but also, he was uh, also one of the main characters. I forget his name, uh, but in Goldeneye, and uh, I think one of the other Bronson, Bronson yeah, Russian, ones. Uh, yeah, Dimitri or something like that. I can't remember. It's, you're just throwing uh, out Russian it's, names. It's one of those Russian names. <laughs> Look it up. I bet it's Dimitri. <laughs> it's, uh, no, it's not. It's Valentine. Fuck. <laughs> Dmitry Valentine? No. Dmitrovich. Aha! Aha! <laughs> Ballpark. Zukovsky. There we go. Dmitry for short. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I always say. And you could, you know, it was funny because you can actually play as him in Gold 9 on 64. Yeah. So you get, but he was a big target. Yeah. You had to, I'd walk around with him crouched. <laughs> so he'd be less identified. That's why you play with the computer nerd guy and, you know, you're skinny. No, well, actually, when my. All of our, all, you know our friends, and you've sure. heard our friends mentioned if you listen to the podcast. But anyway, all I'm getting at is that I would, I, it became a rule when we would play Goldeneye, you, nobody could pick Odd Job, because I would pick <laughs> Odd Job and I would kneel. So literally, if you're standing straight ahead and Odd Job, if I'm, I'm next to you, you can't even see me. Yeah. All you hear is, Whoa! I would just chop him to death. Because like, uh, 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 we, we would play Man with a Golden Gun yeah. for that realism, you know, one shot, you're dead. Yeah. And they just, people, I would just sneak up on people and, it's just so priceless when they die, you know, and Bill now when you die, you still see your screen, it's covered in blood, they'd fall, and then there's Odd Job just crouched in front of them. So literally, Odd Job was banned among our group of friends because of me. Sorry, guys. But uh, rounding out the cast, you also had background roles uh, with Kenny Baker of R2-D2 fame and Deep Roy of pretty much every Tim Burton movie lately fame. Mm. And many other things. Deep Roy's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, and also, it would be remiss to not mention the glorious soundtrack by Queen, which opened this podcast. And anytime anybody says the word Flash, I immediately want to go, wah! Because of this soundtrack. And that doom, 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 doom. It's a good. The soundtrack fits the movie. Yeah, I think they they saw them. They saw it and they knew what they were doing. What's your opinion on the cinematography of this movie? Honestly, I like it. Okay, same guy who did Star Wars. Oh yeah, oh yeah, had that in my notes. (laughs) Oh okay. No, but that's not why I like it because I 
I didn't. Right. I, and when you said that, I remembered reading that, but I answered your question truthfully without gotcha. even thinking about it. But anyway, Flash Gordon. Now, this is a film, this is a polarizing film because most people who, A, have seen it probably don't like it. And, I say, uh, and my empirical evidence for that will be 69% audience, even though that's, that's not most people. <laughs> that's a little right. better than average, I guess. But uh, anyway, what I'm getting at is that this wasn't a big hit when it came out. And it came out, obviously, December 1980. It's coming out in the shadow of Star Wars, actually in the shadow of Empire by this time. So the bar for science fiction or the expectations that people had for science fiction films were, was out of Star Wars blew the lid off that. And then, Empire, you know, the same year as Empire, mm-hmm. you're, you're, that's like, you know, you're trying to climb Everest with, you know, uh, I guess a jump rope and some clothespins. There's, you're going up against a juggernaut in a genre that is now defined by what you're fighting against. So, so to speak. So, as a kid, I remember seeing this on, again, TBS, those kind of stations. And it was just like, it was so different from Star Wars, which is a good thing. Is that what endeared it to me at a young age? It was like, it was so cartoony. Yeah. It was like the silly, you know, I'll the use spoof. that. In, yeah, it was, it wasn't, it was the less serious Star Wars. Like, it was just fun and entertaining, lots of pretty colors, over the top acting, uh, scenery chewing villains all over the place. And it's, it was just fun. Absolutely just a fun film, which is shocking based on all the behind-the-scenes drama that happened with this film, the fact that it even got finished. But when someone says that movie's fucking stupid, I understand. I, mm. I know exactly why you would say that. I disagree. But uh, this is what is shocking. I guess the critics actually saw it for what it was, being that 50s, because Flash Gordon is a 50s, 40s, 50s character. Think a car wreck just happened in your kitchen. <laughs> yeah, because I heard it through the mic. <laughs> they but may it, not have heard it though. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe well, if you heard something, <laughs> it was a, a car just crashed in the Jesse's house. Yeah, that's a bummer. Into the sink. <laughs> but anyway, uh, forgot where I was going with it. Uh, but uh, understand why people wouldn't like it. But at the same time, I mean, it's because my father grew up on stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Like back in the day, you had Commander Cody, you had the serials. You even had you know they had Batman back in the day like that. Uh, in those early, early days of, you know, from radio, they had the serials episode tune in this week. And then that, that's the exact format they would use on TV, which of course, even before radio and TV was comic strips, which is where Flash Gordon was born. Uh, and it actually first published in January 7th, 1934. It was actually inspired by and created to compete with the already established Buck Rogers adventure strip. So it's Mm. Flash Gordon was a Buck Rogers knockoff, but Actually, makes sense. We're not talking about, you know, who knows who, who the hell Buck Rogers is these days. I do because of my father and just, you know, lore, comic, sci-fi lore and history. Mm, excuse Buck me, but that's... Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers is definitely something that's forgotten. For the most part, I should say. Uh, Even not, so, I mean, uh, IMDb has the earliest one that I could find at 1939. For Buck Rogers or Flash? Yeah, for, uh, for Buck Rogers. There had to be one before it. I guess they just don't mark it. Could be. But uh, it was the, I was talking about the comic strip, though, if you're looking for... Oh, yeah. okay. Well, they they beat him on the movie front. Though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Way! <laughs> By three years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, what uh, was it? The Flash Gordon... The original Flash Gordon movie was... 1936. What, 19... Gotcha. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It's rated approved. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We approved this yeah. for people to so they watch. They ratings back then. Wow. Interesting. So, yeah, but... This film just has so much, 
it's if you look at it from a technical standpoint, you can see how it's a mess in like in in certain regards, uh, to where some things maybe just didn't work, and it's certain parts seem very improvisational to me, or okay, let's do this so we can get from A to B, or you know whatever. But nevertheless, none of, I wouldn't say any of these actors were necessarily bad, given the material that they're having to work with here. But, like, Sam Jones, he was great in this film. He was great in Ted, but he was just kind of playing Flash Gordon again. I haven't mm-hmm. seen anything else the, gentleman, the man's done. But when I, think, when I hear the name Flash Gordon, I think of him in his big Flash t-shirt, tackling and playing football in Ming's fr- uh, throne room. <laughs> it just, by all accounts, this movie shouldn't work. And to some people, it doesn't. They just see how ridiculous it looks, and that's the end of it. Hmm. Or the, you know, the color palette is distasteful to their eyeballs, and that's it. And I understand that. It, you know, this isn't this isn't a movie that everybody's going to enjoy. But if it is a it is bar none a fun and to me entertaining movie. I mean, Timothy Dalton plays this movie straight the entire time, like <laughs> like he is dead serious about everything. You know, and then you got Flash here making jokes, and geez, Dale, what are we going to do? Golly gee, Willikers. And then, you know, I mean, Ming is just like, I'm going to destroy the earth. And like, you know, Alan, before Alan Rickman and Prince of Thieves eating scenery and chewing scenery, he's up there just like, and you could, I, I really think Max Monsell liked playing this just because, A, he's, he's a brilliant actor, period. But you're playing Ming the Merciless, a, you know, a, a 1980 film comic book villain from the 30s and 40s. Yeah, and I think he he probably grew up on it. To be honest, I mean, maybe I'm I'm just speculating there, but I think everybody on board, at least what came through most of the performances, had fun with what they were doing, and I think that lends a degree of honesty to the silliness, which makes the film to me good. I mean, I I absolutely love this film. It's a good background film, Uh, despite the color palette being all over the place. I still there's still like some great cinematography, some beautiful scenes in the film. Uh, if you, if you want to be honest, where it really just kind of suffers, I think it's just the costuming. Hmm. That's where it really looks... A, well, it, it, it's a double-edged sword. It looks really, really cheap, except Ming. His, his regalia is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, more on that later, because it weighed like 70 pounds. Uh, but, like, Clytus looks like Doctor Doom, a Doctor Doom mask, just painted gold. Which, as a kid, he terrified me. Uh, you know, a lot of the costumes are just like something you'd see at a thrift store. I mean, like from the '40s, flapper costumes, beads everywhere. Not lots of spandex. The Hawkman's wings don't really move. I mean, they're just plastic pieces on their back. Uh, but again, on this, by the same hand, that lends itself the it lends itself to the look and the atmosphere of the movie being a uh, 1930s, '40s comic strip, and then that aesthetic. As an 80s movie, or, you know, and this is barely 80s. I mean, this was, you know, I mean, literally the turnover, you know, produced and created and released by the, uh, the end of the 1980. So, and honestly, you know, this is, a, this is sort of the start of a lot of, you know, in some ways, some of the things that you kind of see in some future 80s movies in terms of the bright palettes, uh, more soundtracks, like well, band produced soundtracks. Before you get off of uh, costumes, Franco Antonelli was the person who was the uh, wardrobe supervisor. Also did Conan the Barbarian, Red Sonia, and The Last Emperor. Now, Last Emperor, I've only seen it like once for film class, and I remember it look 
like because that was a that was a that cinematography won, like, Oscar winner. Or yeah, I think it won, won Best Picture too. Won nine Oscars. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, but I can in, in Conan on not in costumes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but then you, you know, in Conan, I mean, you have a, you have a pieces of leather draped across people. Nothing spectacular there. But I like the costumes in this movie because again, it gives it's it's just a piece of the puzzle that mm-hmm. make this film. It's a, it's it's a, it's an oddball. I guess it's just it it doesn't seem. That's why when people say that movie's stupid, like I can't disagree with you because I understand why you think that, but. I don't agree with you, but I'm not going to disagree with your a opinion. But, but anyway, bottom line is, this is a it's a fun film. Yeah, I think it it holds up in terms of it being a twenty shit a thirty almost forty year old movie, but also made from a strip forty years previous. So it's almost a little anachronistic in a sense. I don't even hmm. know if that makes sense, but. Anyway, I like this movie. Jesse, did you get a chance to watch this movie? <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen it. I seen. I didn't update myself. <laughs> <laughs> but this, I had this one on VHS actually, because when I got my first actual job that wasn't for my parents at fifteen, working for or sixteen, excuse me, working for Winn Dixie here in uh, or in Walker, Louisiana, uh, they had like a discount VHS rack, <laughs> and uh, one day they had Flash Gordon. I was like, holy shit! Like, I've never seen, like, you know, the non-TV version of this film. Right. Bought it for, like, six bucks and went home that night and watched Flash Gordon on VHS. Like, oh, I love, you know, I remember how great it was. And it had the, it had the great hand-drawn, you know, typical VHS cover art. Fantastic. Uh, just the whole, every, this is a film that, sh- again, it shouldn't have worked. It shouldn't even, it should have been, you know, one of those so bad it's good. Whereas I think adapting a comic strip... Again, from that time period in 1980, I think they knocked it out of a park in terms of looking at it like that. Does, is yeah. the plot totally cohesive? Does everything make sense? You know, why does this person do this and then does this kind of thing? You know, nitpick type stuff, which you can do for any movie. I understand that. But bottom line, it's a fun movie. And I'll watch it again and again and again. Hmm. Now, I wouldn't watch it over Star Wars. <laughs> I wouldn't watch it over Empire or Jedi. I'd watch it over any of the prequels, probably, except maybe Episode 3. But again, it's really un- it's a shame it came out around that time. Had it beaten Star Wars or maybe around the, a little earlier, you know, because, I mean, again, same year as Empire. That, you lost. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, you know, in, 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 that's the king of the hill. Uh, that's probably the only reason it got made is because Star Wars popularity three years earlier. And here's here's the rub. Uh, skip ahead some of the trivia or move on to the trivia, I guess I should say, because I'm just kind of drowning on and on. But George Lucas loved the old universe of Flash Gordon serials as a kid and wanted to make a modern version based on the original comic strips. Well, Federico Fellini was optioning the rights at the time, so Lucas wrote Star Wars Episode Four instead. Well, <laughs> what could have been. Yeah. We'd all be like talking about, oh yeah, the new Flash Gordon sequels, man. Jesus. Harrison Ford. Rising the role of Flash Gordon. Son of Flash Gordon. So how different history could have been if Fellini wasn't optioning the rights at that time. Wow. That's crazy. So, but, but again, if you look at the, we were talking about this off the air, the hero's journey, it's present in here. Although they skip a, uh, quite a few steps, but I mean, it, it follows that same pattern. Mm-hmm. Star Wars is... That one of uh, two of Lucas's biggest, uh, aside from Flash Gordon, two of his biggest influences were Hero of a Thousand, the book Hero of a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell, 
and uh, the uh, Hidden Fortress by, oh, what's his name? Kira Kurosawa. Both of which, well, the film follows the, that same hero's journey and then, you know, let's set it in the future because uh, I like Flash Gordon and billions and billions of dollars later, we're all here worshiping Star Wars still and comparing <laughs> other movies. Uh, what I was getting at, a little unfairly to compare this to Star Wars because there are genres in sci-fi. You know, of course, this is a space shoot 'em up movie, so they're they're in the same genre and even the same subgenre, so to speak. But you know, it's like I will watch Deadly Prey at a drop of a hat, but also watch Rambo or Commando at a drop of a hat too. One of these is not like the other. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a place for Flash Gordon. And I, I do think you know you can't compare it to Star Wars. You can't. There's a lot of things you can't compare to Star Wars at least the originals, in my opinion, mm-hmm. in terms, especially based on the time frame. Coming out at the same time, eh, you, can't, you can't put out Flash Gordon to that audience hungry for that stuff. Yeah. That now, especially post-Empire at the same time, you can't go see Empire Strikes Back then go see Flash Gordon. It's just, your minds don't work that way. Because, mm-hmm. wow, you've seen the top of the mountain and now you're seeing something that deserves its own little mountain. But a little hill. It's, yeah, it's not Everest. <laughs> the Everest of Empire. But anyway, uh, moving on into the trivia, more so of it. Uh, act, there are four 007 actors in this movie. Max von Stow, Timothy Dalton, Topol, and of course a young Robbie Coltrane who we mentioned in the Bronson. Uh, you want to say Bronson. Brosnan films. Yeah. Uh, Max von Stow's uh, Ming costume weighed over 70 pounds, and he could only stand up for a few minutes at a time. Wow. And he's, a, I mean, he's always been like a skinny, I don't want to say like frail. I get, well, actually, going back to the actors, yeah, he's a frail looking dude. <laughs> and he's like Steve Martin. Uh, uh, doing squats. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've seen Max, I mean, film goers have seen Max, Max Von Sal for years and years and years. And he's always looked exactly the same <laughs> from Judge Dredd to Dune to The Exorcist. He, you know, he is like he, he was never young. Like, I don't even know if I've ever even seen a picture of him young. But just like uh, you know, other actors like Steve Martin, to me, because of course he had prematurely gray hair, I guess, but he's always looked the same. Yeah. Sean Connery, although he's retired, always looked the same from every, except the Bond films. You know, but when he was still making films, it was just like, he's always looked like that. But Sadow's also like that to me. Just when he shows up, oh yeah, there he is, still alive. Yes. That is crazy. Because I'm looking at pictures. Get him. As far back as 1966, and he still looks the same. Maybe he is a vampire. He's the one. Everybody's looking at Nicolas Cage and Keanu Reeves, but it's actually Max von Stow. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) Uh, All the main cast members were signed for multiple films, but the first movie didn't do as well as expected, so no sequels. Which I would have loved to see a sequel. If all the main cast was still signed on, I would have paid money to see that. Sure. uh, All-encompassingly. Uh, I thought this was funny, but uh, Sam J. Jones's hair was, ac- he a- actually has dark hair, so his hair was bleach blonde. Millie Anderson's blonde hair was dyed brown. And also, Flash was supposed to have blue eyes to match the comic strip. However, uh, Sam Jones couldn't wear the contact lenses, mm. like a lot of people. Now, imagine this. Arnold Schwarzenegger turned, was turned down for the lead role. Because this is 1980 Schwarzenegger. Right. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah the accent them. was impenetrable <laughs> at that time. So just imagine if his accent was cleaned up, this would could have been a Schwarzenegger film. Which means we'd probably be getting a sequel right about now, finally. <laughs> that would have been interesting, for sure. 
And uh, mm-hmm. I didn't know this till reading the uh, the trivia for the film, but uh, Sam Jones, all of his dialogue in this film was dubbed. That's not his voice. Like the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he had a falling out with Dino De Laurentiis over lack of payment and refused to go into the re- recording studio to redub his lines. So Dino De Laurentiis saved money instead of paying the, the actor, main actor, and just hired somebody, hired else. somebody else to do all the other dialogue for cheaper. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's funny, though. Sam Jones was actually cast after Dino De Laurentiis' mother-in-law saw him on an episode of The Dating Game. <laughs> so it had opened up a whole career for that man it's like... being on The Dating Game. I don't know. If you ever get into show business, people, don't be a dick. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like it'd be the easiest thing in the world, but all too often these stories. Yeah, you're not Harrison Ford at that point. That's like your first thing. Yeah. And you're, I'm not going in there. It's like, no one knows who the fuck you are right now. (laughs) Get in there. (laughs) Build your career. I thought this was hilarious, too. The actors playing the Hawkman actually couldn't sit down because their costumes would hurt their backs. In an interview with Starlog, uh, Melody Anderson said, quote, quoted as saying, they can never sit down because when they did, the wings would dig into their backs. So when they had uh, a break on set, you'd see all the people with, on, playing Hawkman laying belly down on the floor just trying to rest because they couldn't <laughs> sit. And they'd been standing all the time. And according to Brian Blessed himself, he had to sit on a perch, which is strangely ironic <laughs> for a bird man to sit on a perch. <laughs> Anyway, uh, according to uh, another uh, Starlog interview, Dino De Laurentiis really wanted Kurt Russell to play Flash Gordon, which would have been great as yeah. well. Totally different film. However, he turned down the part because he thought the character lacked personality, which <laughs> he's not wrong. <laughs> no. If it was written half of what was filmed, I can agree with that. But again, I think, I think having a non-actor, so to speak, play Flash... Played into that uh, naivete of him being, a, you know, a stranger in a strange land, being an, um, an Earthling on a, another planet. So, and also being awkward with his acting at the same time, I think really lended itself to a, a good performance based on what we're having to watch. Eight months later, Escape from New York came out. He chose wisely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very, very wisely. Uh, the end of the film always strikes me as odd. Because it was totally improvised, because nobody could figure out how to end the movie. So Flash just jumps up the camera and goes, yeah! <laughs> Which is, again, every time I watch it, like, oh, that's the end? Oh, wait, yeah, oh yeah, I forgot. That is the end. Uh, in fact, the director referred to the production problems that plagued the film and once called it the only improvised $27 million movie ever made. Jeez. Which, I can see that in some parts, but also, you turned in an overall cohesive piece, at least, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give him that. Uh, John Hollis played one of uh, Clytus's observers, the ones that have the little TVs on their faces that probably gave him cancer in 1980. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he also, he's a Star Wars veteran. He was Empire Strikes Back that same year as Lando Calrissian's aide who had the uh, kind of the other over his ears, kind of like the metal earmuffs. I know his name. I'm not saying it because I want to see, if you know the name of that character, Send me an email at 80srevisited at gmail.com. Honestly, without cheating. Yeah, I was going to say, it's pretty easy to cheat. Okay, fuck it. Never mind. It's, <laughs> it, 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 it's like, his name's Lobot. I'm a Star Wars nerd for the original trilogy. Yeah. But I was going to do something, but you're right. It's too easy. Way too it's got to be something that they'd have to like know. Right. It's not like we're live, like when they're listening to it, at least. Or, it's true. Oh, let's go to line one. Yeah. Hey, caller, what, who do you think that character is? And they still cheated. <laughs> uh, you hear uh, yeah. his name. Uh, you're stalling, caller. We need an answer. Uh, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, so uh, the fun of podcast. Yeah. Anyway, uh, th- I think this is really awesome because uh, we all have that character that we would like, you know, oh, I'd love to be that character if they ever made a movie of this character. You know, Actually becoming a character that you loved as a kid or whenever. But uh, Brian Bless was an avid fan of the Flash Gordon serials and strips since his childhood, and his favorite character was the one he got to play, Voltan. Hmm. So that's pretty damn cool. Uh, also, this was really interesting. Again, imagine this movie if it starred Kurt Russell or Schwarzenegger, but directed by Sergio Leone. Hmm. Uh, but he turned it down because he believed the script was not faithful to the original comic strips. <laughs> so he had a good reason for turning it down, at least you know, other than just, I don't want to do this. That means he read the script. Right. So like he was like, actually, we could have it could have been made had the script been more to his liking uh, by Sergio. Well, nowadays, Which would have been interesting. No properties are like that. Yeah, for real. Like, makes you think of the, like the first X Men movie. Oh yeah. It's like, why are they wearing all black spandex? Yeah. Why is this happening? The black leather. That's what it was. No. Yeah. No, it's a, of course. Then that was the deal in superhero movies. Just throw them in black leather. Yeah. And that's their at the time. Co- yeah. yeah. Costume. Now, thankfully, they've whatever material they've discovered at least <laughs> adds color to it. So it you know yeah. you get that uh you get more. Faithfulness to the actual characters, yep. so to speak. But uh, anyway, uh, originally the script was written, the original, uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, Lorenzo Simple Jr., an Italian, a good Italian man name. <laughs> uh, but he wrote it in Italian, so they had to translate it to English. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, oh, I'm sorry, scratch that, reverse it, excuse me. It had to be translated into Italian because a lot of the other cast members yeah. were Italian. Pardon me, had that backwards. Uh, and the, direct, uh, the actual screenwriter, Lorenzo, described it at her as a horrible translator. He gives an example, saying, it, <clears throat> excuse me, it said, the tall, beautiful woman walked into the room. She translated it as, oh, what a beautiful cat. What? She used Google Translate? <laughs> I, I, a, a very early version of it, I guess. But then Simple complained to Dino De Laurentiis, and he said, I do not want to be fooled by the words. I do not want to be fooled by written words. I want to know the story. Which that quote alone makes no sense to me based on the, the problem that he's presenting to. I think something's wrong with Italian. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> My familia. Uh, let's see. Oh, speaking of the cinematographer, it was uh, Gilbert Taylor. Uh, of course, he did episode four. And his distinctive camera work with has a dreamlike, hazy look. Sorry. Emphasize the fantasy element, thanks to the use of filters, is in full effect on this movie. So that was his trademark style that he brought and actually a little more embellished at least for the tone of this film with the more ethereal uh, elements. It's funny all those things are like a click of a mouse now. Yeah. Or a swipe. Yeah. However you want to do it. I mean they still try to make you do things on camera but for the most part you can just do it after the fact. Yeah. But you can tell like when you see something an effect is done oh, sure, on sure. camera it's so much better than like <laughs> that. Oh we're, we're underwater and it's like the just the post production wavy lines or oh, oh sure, we're swimming. Sure. Ooh, like uh, what was the uh we when we went deep, uh, not Leviathan, Deep Star Six. All the underwater stuff was just oh, a blue right. light filter and wavy lines <laughs> in front of the camera. A post, not a on set. Uh, and I don't know this because I never read a Flash Gordon, uh, one of the original strips, I should say. But the, in the comics, Flash was actually a polo player. Hmm. So all the people wearing polo shirts, those are Flash Gordon shirts from the 30s. Just kidding, because hmm. he was a polo player. I'm just making a loose, bad 
joke. Yeah, forget it. Let's, <laughs> let's forget it. It was dumb. Uh, but yeah, 1980, nobody gave a shit about Polo, so he became a football True. quarterback. So I guess today's equivalent of Flash Gordon would be Tom Brady. Yeah. Who is at this time? Did he win? Going to the Super Bowl. Oh, jeez, really? Yep. Another Brady Bowl. Dude's going to run out of fucking fingers for his rings. Well, that's what they said. Uh, that's why he had that hand cast on, because he was adding a sixth finger. <laughs> <laughs> Genius. <laughs> oh, that works. That's so good. <laughs> I like that. That's really funny. <laughs> anyway... Score-wise, I'd give Flash Gordon a 7.5. Uh, I would give it an 8, but I think it's, you know, I mean, to be totally honest, I mean, it's good. I like it. Absolutely enjoy the film, but it's not high enough to, good enough to be an 8 in terms of the whole enchilada, so to speak. I think there's a few little things in there that just knock it down a peg. But in terms of a fun factor, that 10 for me, in terms of, you know, when you're looking at it like, hmm, I'm going to, I'm about to cry for some reason. I need something that's just going to make me laugh or just take my mind off something. Flash Gordon's a film for me that could do that. Mm. Now, granted, it's not my go-to. Like our friend Ben Wyatt, whenever he posts that he's watching No Retreat, No Surrender, oh shit, everybody's got, you know, you'll see like, hey Ben, you all right? What's going on? Because <laughs> yeah. he watches it when he's sad or, you know, right, depressed. Right. Which we all have songs or things like that that we tend to, to go to. So, but, you know, Flash Gordon could cheer me up if I was like, if I still had cable and I was like, geez, lost that big account. Click, click. Oh, Flash Gordon. <laughs> you know, take me out, just, just distract me for a little bit to, right. you know, which is what a good movie should do. And Flash Gordon can do that for me. So ultimately, yeah. to me, it's a good movie. Hmm. So there you go, Pete. <laughs> uh, I hope it lived up to your expectations <laughs> after so long of waiting for us to cover it. But uh, again, keep our promises. <laughs> and uh, I'll have to check the list currently, but Flash will be in the 100 character showdown. I don't think this one's going to be as exciting as the last one because there's, we kind of, of course, the first hundred episodes, we covered a lot of the bigger movies from the 80s for the most part. Right. So that one was intense. But, you know, this one's going to have Maybe a lot more surprises. everyman type, type characters and Godzilla. So and Godzilla. <laughs> let's see where that, where that falls. <laughs> Might have to switch out Godzilla for Raymond Burr or something to keep it, <laughs> to keep it fair when we get there. But we're getting close. I'll have to check the actual numbers. I'll keep a spreadsheet. Because, of course, we have the best of episodes where we don't do a character from that. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, But we should be getting there in a couple weeks or so. But uh, let's see. Let's see. We don't do the in the real world in the intro, but I want to talk a little bit more about these two. Uh, so we'll do it here because fuck the formula. Uh, anyway, Flash <laughs> came out December 5th, 1980, the day before Led Zeppelin broke up because their drummer, John Bonham, passed away. Mm. I believe it was a cocaine overdose. I think so. But again, but you know, so Led Zeppelin, one of the greatest rock bands of all time, breaks up short the day before this film comes out. And then three days after this film comes out, December eighth, nineteen eighty. Most people should know what that date means if you're a fan of music. Uh but John Lennon is shot dead outside his New York apartment home, uh, by Mark David Chapman, that son of a bitch. Let's see. Killing. John Bonham drank forty shots of Oh vodka. no, that is yeah, that is it. He like oh yeah, I remember that story now. Yeah. And it was something crazy. 40 shots of vodka in the system. Yeah. So I wonder how much that would translate, like two bottles, <laughs> two-fifths of vodka. Jeez, what was he trying to forget? <laughs> <laughs> that last show, man, I, I blew that drum solo. I can't, I just got to drink myself away. 
Well, of course, you know, I mean, obviously an alcoholic, but... He vomited and choked. Well, that's fun. Yeah, sleep on your side, people. Whenever you drink, you always sleep on your side. 32 years old. Oh, that's a shame. I don't know if he was that young. Oh, that makes sense, because, I mean, that was... No, no, I would have guessed mid mid to late 30s, I guess, so I guess I wasn't too far off. Guessing was. But, yeah, two great musical figures within four days of each other. This, this, uh, the Wikipedia article basically goes through that day. Like, he didn't just have 40 shots in a row. It was starting at breakfast. <laughs> Jesus. That's a class A alcoholic. All right. He had four quadruple screwdrivers at breakfast at 16 shots. And then he drank heavily at the rehearsals. Jesus. And then that evening he went to Paige's house and he kept drinking, drinking. <laughs> wow. Good God. Uh, bottom fell asleep. Someone took him to bed and placed him on his side. Ah. You got to put a pillow but behind him. Found him unresponsible the next afternoon. Yeah. The, the next afternoon. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Nobody checked on the drunk no. guy that drank so much until the next afternoon? Come on, people. It's because he did most of his drinking at breakfast. No one noticed. I don't know. Wow. That's wow. sad. That's, a hor- that's, that's not a good way to go. That makes me think of Breaking Bad. That one episode that really just made me hate Walter. But also I was conflicted because I hated that bitch too. <laughs> Kristen Ritter. Because she was like, oh, she was staring yeah, at me blankly. Yeah. I was looking yeah. at my wife. Sorry, Jesse. I was looking at my wife for some sort of reaction she didn't give me. <laughs> I mean, the wall. I didn't remember that episode first until you said Kristen Ritter. Because like yeah, at the same know. time, oh, she was so terrible. But it was so it was that it right. was so effective. Like you're you know acting and everything. Like you you could save this girl's life even though you don't like her. Like you don't have to let her die. Nope. But he <laughs> cold blooded. Yeah, he knew it was better. Yeah, <laughs> gotta protect Jesse. Yeah. Jesse and himself. Yeah, that's true. Because he took that really far. <laughs> but that's enough spoilers for Breaking Bad, I guess. But anyway, yeah, so this time in history, especially for the music world, you know, you had a nice, uh, an excellent Queen soundtrack to go watch Flash Gordon to. But, yeah. you know, Led Zeppelin breaks up. All hope for any sort of Beatles reunion is over. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Lennon just released uh, Double Fantasy. One of his, uh, definitely one of his better solo albums right before that. And it was really, you know, the tragic thing about John Lennon was, I mean, he was no saint. Uh, he neglected his, his first kid uh, with his first wife. Uh, but around that time, like right before he was assassinated, like they started to kind of repair that relationship and then uh, get shot down, arguably in his prime. Not, well, yeah, in his prime, pretty much. I mean, there was still so much music, I think, you know, Led Zeppelin had to give, and as well as, I mean, talking about the Beatles here, and talking about John Lennon, one of the greatest singer-songwriters of all time. Mm-hmm. So, nevertheless, a dark time in music history, but there was some happiness to be found on cinema screens. Just don't go heavily drink, watch Flash Gordon, and then go home and sleep on your back <laughs> yeah. without somebody checking on you. Because <laughs> that is just terrible. It's so terrible. But anyway, as promised last week, uh, Back to the Future this week, a few... This is our own 80s revisited version of In Memoriam, like you see everywhere, honoring specifically those people that get kind of lost in the hubbub. And I mean, of course, Tom Petty's still on here because, I mean, he was, Tom Petty was huge in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, just some, just calling them out for their achievements that, you know, deserve to be recognized at least somewhere, I think. But, of course, starting with Tom Petty, still, we were recording live when Jesse told me that. Oh yeah, uh, and it was true. just like, and we and we didn't even know for sure before we stopped recordings. So it was just like because all that uncertainty it when was, he died, yeah. 
So we're just like, uh, and they, of course, just a couple of days ago, they revealed that it was because of uh, an overdose of prescription pain medicine, mm-hmm. which I actually read the whole story. The dude was playing shows with a fractured hip. Mm. And then by the time when they, on his autopsy, it had progressed from a fracture to an actual break. Oh, wow. So that's why I was taking pain medicine to keep going, which yeah. is, it ain't worth it, Tom. Just take a break, please. He didn't want to, that's that, you don't know that at the time. Exactly. But that, and that's the ultimate sad thing. It, it was an indirect result of him being a professional and doing his job, but also yeah. not wanting to cancel shows for his fans. Yeah. You know, I mean, what more can you say? I mean, what a, it sucks, but I mean, you know, he, yeah. he did it. Arguably for the right reasons. I mean, I mean, it was it was a unexpected byproduct of him doing, uh, being a professional, yeah. and respecting his audience, which nevertheless still, still so sad. But uh, of course, uh, I didn't write the year, but in the '80s he released his album Full Moon Fever, arguably in my opinion probably his best album. Uh, Free falling, won't back down. You're so bad. Running down a dream. All of them, which appear, all those songs appear on every Tom Petty greatest hits album. Yeah. Or you could just get Full Moon Fever and then a couple other albums you have in that too. Uh, of course, also Malcolm Young, uh, with which AC, ACDC set the tone for hard rock in the 80s with Back in Black releasing in 1980, same year as this film. You know, it's an, You Shook Me All Night Long, Back in Black. Just a, a great, great rock album. And of course, he died just, you know, the tail end of 2017. So, but uh, he had, I think, dementia or something, you know, which is mm-hmm. uh, my grandfather had Alzheimer's. So, you know, those, those, those are the hardest things, you know, for, to, for the relatives to have to deal with is when someone goes through that. So uh, and, uh, Sam Shepard, a great, fantastic actor, most notably his work in the 80s, uh, The Right Stuff uh, with Ed Harris as well. And one of my mother's and most 40 to 50 year old women's favorite movies, if you're a southerner, Steel Magnolias. Yeah. And young, too. Patting my wife's hand. Young women love that movie too. Very, very young and beautiful women. Uh, Jonathan Deming or Dim? I don't. I guess it's Deming. I never looked up how to actually pronounce his last name. Of course, he directed Silence of the Lambs, but in the '80s, he directed Married to the Mob. And I bring that up because the VHS cover was just Michelle Pfeiffer's beautiful face, and I would just go into the video store and just always stop and just give it a little look. I'm like, good God, she's gorgeous. Demi. Demi. Yeah. Like more. Yep, Jonathan Demi Moore. That's an odd combination, but whatever. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, not. I don't know how to pronounce his last name either. Who uh, is it? Robert Gilame Benson. That's why I bring him up because I used to love Benson as a kid. Robert Gilame. I don't even know how to spell that. G U I L L A U M E. G U O. But he was in Benson. Yeah. That's how I bring him up. But he, you know, again, very storied career. Great actor. Oh, right. Um, yeah, they don't even say how to pronounce his, his name on the, on the Wikipedias. And actually, a little bit of serendipitous, a serendipitous thing. We were watching Tropic Thunder earlier as background noise, and they referenced Benson in that. <laughs> so. I liked him in Half-Life, too. Oh, yeah. He was uh, the doctor. Uh, yeah. What's her name's dad? Basically, it's just, yeah. <laughs> Looked just like him. And then... Uh, a, uh, a very recognizable, I think, actress, uh, Glenn Headley. And she, uh, I assume it's, maybe it's Glenn A. I don't know if there's an act, there's no accent mark over her name. I think uh, it's Glenn, yeah. But uh, she was in Fandango and also Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Mike O'Kane and Steve Martin. But uh, most notably, most people might remember her, she was Dick Tracy's love interest in Dick Tracy. But that was 1990. But nevertheless, filmed in 1989. 
But uh, she was a great actress in the in the roles, uh, and she did a lot of other stuff too. That's just the '80s centric stuff, of course. But uh, she also unfortunately passed away. And M- Miguel Ferrer, Bob Morton from RoboCop, and also Twin Peaks, tons of other stuff. But a great, great actor as well. Uh, Michael Bond, I bring him up because he was the creator of Paddington Bear. And apparently Paddington 2 is the greatest movie ever made, according That's to Rotten Tomatoes. Have you seen the first one? No. It's really good. Are you serious? Yeah, it's not bad. It's on Netflix. because I'll, I'll, It is? The little thumbnail for okay. it is Nicole Kidman. I'm like, wait, what's that? I've never seen that with Nicole Kidman. It's like, oh, Paddington. I'm like, eh. It has whatever. a 7.2 on IMDb. Really? Yeah. And the reason I put him on here, though, is because as a kid watching Nickelodeon, I think uh, I even watched it twice. They'd always show the Paddington shorts, <laughs> the stop-motion animation ones, which were always, as a kid, loved them. Great. Never really got into the books or had the books, but uh, as a kid, always loved the shorts. And in fact, when we went to London, we brought back our niece, a uh, little Paddington stuffed animal. So, But yeah, he did pass away, so he didn't get to see that his creation is the highest-rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, the first one had really good writing. Like, the jokes were clever. I remember that. Because... And see, and before I heard all the Rotten Tomatoes stuff, when I was watching the BAFTA announcements, just to see, oh, what are, what are, you know, what are some movies I might need to check out from that, uh, you know, English awards, British actors, screen actors, however, whatever the anagram is. Uh, anyway, but like, like best actor, Hugh Grant. I'm like, oh, what are we seeing for Paddington Two? I'm like, what the fuck? Just they were just thinking like, I mean, good, <laughs> what a performance that must be. But then like, best picture, you know, Darkest Hour. Paddington 2. I'm like, Jesus Christ. This must be the motherfucking Avatar. Oh, that's a bad example. Uh, the Departed of kids' movies or something. I mean, that, this must be a damn good movie. Yeah. Well, Sally Hawkins is in it. She plays the mother. Oh, yeah. Shape and of Water. She was in Shape of Water. I think it'd be really funny if people took clips of Paddington and spliced <laughs> them in with Shape of Water. Because there's a bathtub scene in Paddington. Uh, <laughs> Paddington comes knocking on the door. What's going on in there? Who's the voice of Paddington? Is it a celebrity or is it, uh, or is that Hugh Grant? Is he the voice or uh, Ben Wishaw? Who? who oh, was, he's the kid from. He was uh, Q in the uh, Craig yes, Bonds, yes, and yes. he was in something else though. He's a good actor. He's in Cloud Atlas. He's in Cloud Atlas. Uh, correct. I'm trying to think. Of, there's he something was, else that he was really good in. The thing most people know him for was being Q in uh, Skyfall and yeah. the other one. There was something else he was in though that he was really Spectre. good in. Uh, the Heart of the Sea. The oh, the oh yeah, with uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Decent film. I like it. He was it. in The Lobster. Uh, yeah. He's the limping man. Yeah, he shows uh, up. Yeah. I like yeah. him. He's a good actor. Uh, also, speaking of Bond, Sir Roger Moore passed away. And until Daniel Craig's run as Bond, uh, Roger Moore was the longest, quote-unquote, serving Bond for 12 years. Now, he still has, I, th- I think Moore has like eight total, seven or eight maybe Bond films. So Craig's only like on his fifth. So Moore's still done the most in terms of films as the role, but the tenure time-wise was shorter. So I don't know which one mm. has more bearing among James Bond fans. I have to ask our friend Josh because he loves Bond. Uh, Sir John Hurt, uh, of course, The Elephant Man, 1984, uh, and covered on the podcast, The Black Cauldron, and most recently, V for Vendetta, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. Great, great actor. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm. And speaking again of great actors, Harry Dean Stanton. It's talking of his 80s work, Pretty in Pink, Escape from New York, Christine. Uh, if, you throw a, if you took every movie and laid him, laid him face down and threw a rock, you would probably land on a film that Harry Dean Stanton played in. Mm. 
because uh, there's, there's even a documentary about him. I think I mentioned on the podcast. I still haven't watched it, but just how everybody in Hollywood knew him because he worked on so many films with so many different people. Over 100 films, over 50 TV episodes. Jeez. 201 credits on IMDb. And there are other people that might have more than that, but no, nowhere near, I would say, as diverse as Harry Dean Stanton. I mean, the chances did are you would know who those people are, too. Probably. The people that or if you wouldn't more. know, you'd recognize them for sure. Right. But, I mean, Harry Dean Stanton, you know, Alien, uh, just so much, just such a body of work. And, and I mean, if you had to, like, like, if I made a list of, like, some of my favorite movies, and, like, if you, then you broke down the analytics of, like, by director, act, like, this actor appeared in the most. Harry Dean Stanton would be in the most of them. Like, yeah. he would, like, analytically, he should be my favorite actor because <laughs> he's mm-hmm. been in so many movies and TV shows and everything that I just love to death. <laughs> so, but, you know, but, I mean, he was... Watching the recent season of Twin Peaks, it was just like, God, he's so old. Like, he's, you just, it was what you knew. Right. Because he, he was looking bad. But uh, nevertheless. Just like, just like Max. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who will never die. I don't think he will, man. I think he's, he's going to be here to at least oh, 2020. Wait. New news, breaking news today. Oh, okay. <laughs> we killed Max once now. <laughs> First, what's his name? Uh, Peter Windegard. <laughs> no, no. Nah. I need an old priest and a young priest with exercise the podcast. Uh, also, yeah, thank God. But I heard he Sand rest in peace. And, and, and at his age too, if you watch the recent season of twin peaks, just such a good act, like still like has it like nailed everything, man. Just what a, and he was a musician too. I mean, a very, uh, Renaissance man type, uh, personality, but also we lost the great judge Wapner. Of course, the people's court, my people's court when I watched it as a kid. When I say watched it, my grandparents were watching it and cartoons came on after it. So that's my familiarity with the people's court. Now, of course, John Hurd, most people know him from Home Alone 1 and 2, but he was also in Big. If you remember that, he was the villain, so to speak, of Big. Uh, And of course, Beaches, another friendly film to a demographic of our audience. Uh, John Hillerman was Higgins, of course, a Magnum P.I. That was his big claim to fame. And, uh, of course, Powers Booth, we lost him. Uh, Red Dawn was his big 80s hit. But, of course, he went on to Tombstone, Frailty, tons of other things. A lot of voice work, too, because he had that voice. Hmm. Great, great voice. And last but never, ever least, especially on this podcast, Bill Paxton. Still, like, I, for, I forget that he's dead. Right. And then, like, I read, you know, like, so just reminded. He anything? Yeah, like, oh, what's he? Oh, fuck. And then I start crying all over again. <laughs> That was just, yeah, you know, still sad because another too young, unfortunately, and especially with his talent. Did you and watch just, the last thing he ever did in which, Training Day? The TV show? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like, I guess you don't miss him that much. <laughs> TV don't count yeah. too much, to, in my opinion. Yeah, especially no, no. a CBS cop show. Yeah, that, that's based on a movie because right. we have Lethal Weapon on TV and Training Day. And then and there's a couple others now, like. Because that, that's, that's proved to be successful for at least a couple of seasons, so that seems to be a trend now for those networks. But nevertheless, a lot of talent, a lot of great voices and spirits that we lost last year. But you always get our respect here at 80s Revisited for your hard work and due diligence. And I know this, that isn't a complete list because I was like, I looked through all the immemoriums like, okay, that name sounds familiar. Let me check. Okay, no, that was 70s or that was, he didn't do anything in the 80s. Mm. So if we missed anybody, I apologize. <laughs> don't don't come haunt me. But uh, anyway, oh shit, we had an email, but I didn't print it. Let me pull up my email on my phone real quick because mm-hmm. it was from none other than the person who requested it. 
Peter Gray. He says, Happy New Year. Gents, Happy New Year to you and yours. Happy New Year to you as well, Pete. Hoping the podcast goes from strength to strength this year. There's certainly plenty of 80s films out there for you to review. Looking forward very much to the forthcoming Flash Gordon episode. You are in luck because <laughs> you just listened to it. And I hope it didn't disappoint. I'm sure you'll be fair in your review. It's certainly better than Condor Man. You're exactly right. I think <laughs> I think I was pretty fair and gave a, a decent opinion of the film. Of Condor Man? Oh, but, oh okay. well, actually, yes, yes. Of Condor, of Crapdoor Man, and Flash Gordon. Condor Man. God. God. That, from our that first came out the year after uh, Flash. Jesus Christ. Ugh, I'm so glad I will never watch that movie again. And if not, I'll just stop listening to the podcast. LOL. Cheers, guys. All the best for 2018, Pete. P.S. Trey, just the four times. Well, it's five now, Pete. Watching <laughs> it for the podcast. And now it will be watched again in the future. So mm. Flash Gordon definitely has its spot in my oeuvre for sci-fi movies. Would it ever be my 10 best? Probably not. Maybe my 50 best. Not my 10 best. That's a, that's a tough category because sci-fi is my genre. If I had to pick one genre that I can only watch for the rest of my life, or any film in that genre, it would be sci-fi. Hmm. Horror would be a close second, probably, for me. But sci-fi, you just have so much. There's so much good stuff in that genre. So anyway, that does it for this one. Next week, uh, Mike Borchers, if you're still listening to the podcast, we're going to do the film you requested a while back, a long while back, <laughs> Night of the Comet, <laughs> ah. which would have been done last, uh, or, yeah, last year for Halloween Horror, but didn't have enough... Films to tie it together with night of or day of or dawn uh, of or times of day of to put together at least four films to do that we hadn't done already at least for the podcast. So that'll be coming up next week. As always, our shout outs to our friends near and far. John and James with Now Versus Nostalgia and our good friend Ben, the Tasmanian Devil Wyatt at Asia Mania Podcast. And before I forget, speaking of Tasmania and all things Australian, revealed just a couple of days ago. Something I never, ever expected to see. Ben Wyatt's hair? Oh, that too. <laughs> Good God, Ben. What did you do? <laughs> Someone posted a picture of lead singer Nickelback, and I, la- I literally like laughed out loud I for five too, minutes. Because it was like, I went and looked up Chad Kroger after that. <laughs> I was like, wow, these all look like Ben. The picture that dude posted, I think it was the host of the, uh, one of the, the, the 80s, uh, 80s Picture House, I think. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. Probably uh, the, the one, yeah. Posted the, that. But the picture that he picked... In court, in relation to the picture Ben posted, it looked like the same picture, just a different time of day. Like, why did you just repost this? Oh wait, <laughs> Godspeed, Ben Wyatt. But anyway, yeah, uh, Danny McBride is starring in a new film coming out this year. Oh yeah, that is a sequel to one of the most beloved Australian films ever made, Crocodile Dundee. Yep. And I watched the trailer and oh, no, teaser. excuse me, teaser. Yeah, because there's because we could have filmed that. Yeah, <laughs> with a, with a, this drone sitting here on this desk between <laughs> us. The only thing I was disappointed was that he's. It, it makes sense watching it, but there's no even hint of Australian. Him even trying to be Austra- an Australian right. accent, I guess I should say, because of course Crocodile Dundee, Mick Dundee marries Liz. I can't remember her name. Whatever her name was in the film. Uh, of course, he married her in real life, so it makes sense that his son. I guess I imagine the plot of the film is going to be. Crocodile Dundee has a son, but he was born in America, raised in America, and he wants yeah. to know more about his dad. And like, yeah, I can be a bushman like my dad. And it's Danny McBride, which, again, I like Danny McBride. Is it but Sue, Sue Charlton? Sue. Is that yeah, the second? that's it, yeah. That's the second Sue. build. 
Yeah. yeah. Linda. Uh, I think her real name is Linda. Is yeah, it Linda, Linda Kowalski? Kozlowski. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's what I was getting my circuits crossed. Will I see it? Yeah, definitely. I like Dan McBride. I like Crocodile Dundee. Married but Paul th- Hogan, divorced in 2014. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I wonder if she's going to appear in this one. Yeah. Or do they just have the right slander him? <laughs> no. Oh, there you go. There's your movie. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. You mean your father divorced? Why don't you go spend some time with him in the Australian outback, like the, yeah. the jerk he is? Or, and then, like, oh, your mom's great, but boy, she has a drinking problem. Who well, knows? Paul Hogan is credited to be in it. Okay, good. Because no, obviously, take, looking at the, the teaser, it obviously takes place in Australia. And that's the only two people credited so far. Okay. As long as Paul Hogan's in it, I'm fine with it. Hmm. And again, Danny McBride, he's, I really think he's better than a lot of the stuff that he does. Because look at Vice Principals, fantastic. Although he still is a little bit Kenny Powers in it. A little toned back. But uh, if there's one good thing I can say about Alien Covenant was he did great in it. Yeah. I forgot, I didn't forget he was in it, but I was like, okay, I wasn't just seeing Danny McBride. I wasn't seeing Kenny Powers as a space pilot. He, uh, he did really good in it, honestly. Uh, it's uh, the storyline is Crocodile Dundee's back while he's missing in the outback. Oh, his son's the only gonna... person who could find him is a loudmouth American son. No one knew he had. <laughs> Your dad's missing. Oh, sure. Let me go to a place I've never been because I'm the son of Dundee. The son of I the must legend. Inherently have his powers. He's forced to channel his Aussie roots as he embarks on the ultimate adventure to the land down under. It's time to live up to the family name. Budget of $30 million. Holy shit. <laughs> and that's the only teaser they could afford with a $30 million yep. budget? <laughs> that one cost, you know. Five bucks. The drone cost, <laughs> basically. Uh, I'm interested. Sound. Bar none. Like, I'll, I'll, will I see it in the theater day one? I don't know. Depends on what else is playing at the time <laughs> and how the trailer looks. Yeah. Uh, once I see a full trailer, I'll judge if it's going to be theater quality. But again, I do Directed like Danny McBride. Directed by Steve Rogers. Captain America? I, I mean, know. excuse me, my good friend Steve Rogers, who is not Captain America? <laughs> no, this guy's never directed anything. He directed a TV series documentary in 2010. And that's it. So this is his first. How did someone get this job? Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, I oh, guess. That, that 2010 thing never even it. came out. He must have just had the good, a good enough pitch to where maybe he's a friend of Danny McBride's or. Well, I don't know. <laughs> or a friend of Paul Hogan's, because I mean, because you know, this is a restart, rebir- or come back for him too if it does, if it's good. Maybe he just has the name Steve Rogers, and that's enough. <laughs> he got mistaken. Yeah, you throw a rock in Hollywood, like, you hit somebody named Steve Rogers. Like Captain America's okay. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I wonder if that dude is enough of a douche to act, like if he actually wears like Captain America shirts. Like if my name was Steve Rogers, oh, I would Steve probably would have tried yeah. to avoid wearing anything Captain America related. Who's your favorite hero? I bet it's Captain America. Nah, I like Wolverine. Wolverine's cooler than Well, I guess I need to uh, make a character called Trey Harris. (laughs) And hey, I'll have some cool logo that gets popular, and then I'll test you. Well, I have to, to, like, I'll get you an 80s revisited shirt. See if you wear that. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I wore my duo attack until I got lost in a flood. Oh, yeah. It was packed up, I should say. So that's why it wasn't at my house. Because when we moved to the apartment... (laughs) Kept old stuff for when I needed it later at the at the denim warehouse, which was covered in eight feet of water. Right. Anyway, that does it for this week. Next week again, Mike Borchers, you are in luck. We're covering what you requested, Night of the Comet. 
on the next episode of Asia Visit. So until then, everybody, I'm just making sure I didn't miss anything. I think I didn't. I think we're good to go. <laughs> okay. So until next week, everybody, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! <laughs> Autumn wave goodbye. Facebook.com slash awesome pods and follow us on Twitter at awesome pods.